0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to FlightCast. This is a show inspired by the mobile flight simulator Infinite Flight with a lot of real-world aviation mixed in there. Joining me in the FlightCast virtual recording booth, as always, is Skyhawk Heavy, Mr. Mark Denton. Hey, Mark. Hey, man. What's going on? Well, uh, you know... Uh, not a lot. I'm I'm excited because uh, spring is here and it's warm. And uh, I actually got out to the airport the other day to chat with my friend Bob, who you and I chatted with in our yes, kit Bob. plane series. And uh, Bob is now in his new, well, new to him, Murphy Rebel. So Rebel. if anybody's yeah, that thing is gorgeous. Isn't it pretty? It's actually, yes. his other one was his baby, and uh, as people who are following us will know, it was um, lost in a, totally lost in a fire, and um, the interesting part about that, actually, Mark, is I got to go in the hangar after the fire, and so there's his plane, and it's very, very sad, it's, you know, total, total loss, complete, complete write-off, the whole building, uh, yeah. but, and, the, and there's the the rebel sitting there, and he had it on wheels at the time, Um, and the whole, like the windshield had melted inward. So the whole windshield just melted down into the cockpit and, you know, the things burnt up and, um, the wheels, the two front wheels were just, were still sitting there holding air. I mean, they probably had just as much air as when, before the fire started crazy. But um, crazy. lost the rebel, lost a, a 172 that was sitting in there, um, and of course his snowmobile, which started the fire. So if anybody wants to check out, yeah, a little but the video, 172
1: broke my heart. I that know. that broke my heart more I than know. anything.
0: Uh, that guy is now. I think he actually just bought a 182 to replace it.
1: Did he really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna try. I can't and, really uh, blame him. There got a little bit more power to it. Yeah.
0: To try and track him down, his name's Dave, uh, and maybe have a chat with him, uh, but yeah, so, so, um, uh, the, I did a little kind of five minute interview with Bob the other day, and uh, I keep saying to him and Cam, I need to go to the airport and hang out with them without all my cameras sometime <laughs> and actually act like a friend who doesn't want something from them, but uh, but- it's beautiful, mm-hmm. and it's he's got uh, some, some, uh, screens in his cockpit and yeah the avionics were uh, yeah. wow yeah and it's new for bob because you know no six-pack in there and uh he's got a couple well he can always put one in there he just needs a cooler he could he's got a he <laughs> <laughs> i see what you did there yeah uh, that's how we do it in alabama man yeah so anyway uh guys check out Flightcast cafe at flightcast.audio audio slash cafe and you can watch a uh sign up to watch a video from bob um mark there was a new poll on the infinite flight community forum website yes um Mm -hmm. you're sighing tell me why you're tell me why you sighed it's well so first of all the, the 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 poll is uh asking the community what do you want to see next in infinite flight airplane wise you're gonna ask
1: me a question then interrupt me right as i'm starting to answer i'm giving context Oh, okay. Well, there's... just tell me when you want me to answer that. <laughs> there's the context. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, as everybody knows, we put the poll out uh, last week uh, for the next plane that uh, the community would like for us to work on, and the CRJ won by landslide. And yes, you know, I, I see where Tyler's coming from. I see where a lot of people are coming from, that with global, you know, there's so many, so many things that, uh, so many areas that the regionals are now going to unless you're doing something transatlantic or, you know, uh, intercontinental, or you're flying across all the way across the country or whatever, you know, the regionals are really where it's at me. I'm a prop guy. Yeah. So, you know, if we're going to do another airliner, I'd rather see an ATR, a twin otter something, um, well, or, you know, some other series, uh, other versions of the dash eight, but I also really wanted to see more GA.
0: Yeah. Well, you, you know, and I uh, would love to sit at events like Sun and Fun and uh, Warbird Weekend and Oshkosh and, and say, hey, yeah. everybody who loves these GA airplanes, check this out. You could fly them
1: on infinite flight. And now yep. uh, we're just not quite there. So right now, you know, it's hey, come check out this 8380 that you can take off at Aspen with. You know, it <laughs> right. it, it I mean, airliners are great. And obviously, I mean, I worked for Northwest for 15 years, so my my heart is still with the airlines, but at the end of the day, as a private pilot, you know, my heart is in GA. You know, my whole heart is with GA, and I just love props. Even in the airliners, I love the props, which is, you know, hence Skyhawk Heavy, why I love the C-130 so much, which everybody absolutely knows. Uh, That's no secret, but also in the uh, airline industry, the, the dash eight, of course, the side three I've, I've worked on thousands of them things. Um, you know, I just love the turboprops props yeah. or props in general for GA, you know, I mean, just a PC 12, a TBM, um, of course, you know, I'd love to see a Kodiak. Uh, Oh yeah. Now warbirds, Corsair first, then the P 51. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll probably get overruled on that. Like I usually do. <laughs> Um, but, um, uh, you know, I'd love to see like a Kodiak, you know, uh, you know, just more GA birds yeah. is I'm what I'm really pushing for. So, but yeah, the CRJ one. Uh,
0: yeah. And the CRJ is going to be a ton of fun to fly and, uh, we'll, we'll be, uh, there, uh, in, you know, oh, it will. doing, it doing, will. uh, short hops with it and things like that.
1: So it'll be fun and we gripe about it now, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's what we're going to be, especially if we fly with Tyler, you know,
0: and we let him file the
1: flight plan. Then of course, you know, it's going to be in a CRJ, but I'm looking forward to it because I, you know, I've, I've worked on CRJs for several years as well. Um, and it will be nice to have something different, you know, the 700, the 900 and all them. So, um, yeah, I'm just glad we're not putting in another large, Airliner,
0: yeah, it'll be a nice change. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, is there anything uh, we've got tons to cover with today's guest? So, do, is there anything else you want to add, Mark, before we bring him in here?
1: Uh, I posted today on Instagram. You know, we've had a lot of requests from people uh, oh, saying yeah. that they really wanted to see the engine start and stop and all that. So, yeah. um, you know, I just posted a little teaser today on our Instagram page of. Uh, of what the engine start and stop looks like. Well, what it's what the start is because you only have one minute to post on Instagram. But right. um, so I posted the engine start on the seven eighty seven. So uh, I'm thinking about doing a prop one, uh, maybe the dash eight because it takes over two minutes to do the C one thirty to start all four. <laughs> yeah. Um, but <laughs> so I'll probably do the dash eight and post that one later on. So uh, you know, run over there and check that one out if you kind of want to see. How that all works? Because a lot of people have questions about how's that going to work. Can you do this? Can you do that? Yes. You know, you'll see it there on the video. Yep, and look good too. It uh,
0: does. All right. Well, uh, speaking of Instagram, Mark, let's welcome today's guest. Uh, Dion Mitten has thirty-two and a half thousand followers on Instagram for his aviation account. He's a commercial instrument seaplane and helicopter pilot, and if that's not enough, he has a day job and is a wicked aviation photographer. Here for a continuation of our real world pilot and aviation photographer series from his home in Laguna beach is dion mitten dion welcome to flightcast
2: hey Jay. hey mark uh good evening it's evening in California. I know it's late your time, but thanks for having me on
0: oh uh, good it's, evening, uh, man. it's our pleasure and um I was saying to mark earlier you're like a you're like a silver fox. So it's, it's, you're like a, the most elusive uh, guest that I've had on, but I, I understand you, you're you a very, very busy dude, so uh, I want to talk about these things that make you so busy. Um, if you don't mind, though, before we get into that stuff, what uh, we always love to ask our guests, what got you into aviation in the first place? This is why we're all here talking today. So what was it for you? <clears throat>
2: You know, I think as with, any, with many pilots, probably most every pilot, it starts somewhere, things start going wrong somewhere early on in, in your childhood. And so I grew up in uh, South Africa and we're, you know, the lifestyle there is very outdoors and very close to nature. And uh, I guess I got my love for flying, living relatively close to an airport and, and always wondered what. The third dimension would look like and soaring like a bird and looking at things from from uh, you know uh, airborne perspective and of course some something went wrong i don't really know what it is An mm-hmm. early age and i st- really got hooked into wanting to to get up there and and of course planes fly over and there's a bunch of bush flying going on in africa so uh, i was inspired by being close to an airport, I, I didn't grow up in an aviation family. I, I wasn't as lucky and, and fortunate as as uh, to to have that as part of my upbringing, but I, I was just around it and and I saw it and I started drawing pictures and kind of fantasizing about what it would be like. and that's kind of I think what got me interested and it wasn't until much later in life that I finally was able to you know had the means and time to to make it so
0: and so if you don't mind what what's much later mean
2: I started so uh, when I graduated school I went to university uh, you know spent some time getting uh, educated or pretending to be, <laughs> to get uh-huh. educated in what then was kind of the early on phases of uh, computer science just became a c- kind of a, a study, a topic of, of choice. And so the physics and math departments were trying to figure out how to, you know, what to do with this new thing. And I was in initial phases of, of getting qualified and trained as that. And so I graduated, I have a master's degree and, and, and all of that. And and then i started working and but i didn't have the means to go fly even though i wanted so i worked for a few years and it wasn't until i want to say my late 20s that i finally just you know put the time and effort into it and then i uh, got my ppl my fixed wing ppl very
0: cool and uh...
2: because i because i saved up and i had to save up to 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 be able to afford that
0: Yes, and since we're since you're mentioning your uh, degree, um, are, are you using that as a day job today?
2: I do, I do. My trade has been, you know, computing, and uh, w- the fortunate turn of events is, as most computer science people would know, is the the, the training and the curriculums are typically uh, based on. Uh, Linux-based or derivatives thereof operating systems, and it has been for many, many years. And so, so turns out that Linux has found its way into the mainstream technology, as you guys know. So, my career w- remained on uh, utilizing and applying, and finding application for large-scale compute platforms. So, I was never really in the in the desktop and. Uh, personal compute market or, or, or application, and it was mostly back-end and computers, you know, uh, large-scale data center applications. Uh, and my, my day job today continues in that. I, I was kind of involved, very fortunate to be involved in the f- some of the first implementations of e-commerce at scale, you know, r- what we call scale today. And so I've just been continuing in that market, and that keeps me busy every day.
0: Right, and are, are you traveling with your job, or are you mostly just traveling with your hobby?
2: I travel mostly with my hobby. Mm-hmm. I I really love to travel. It's a, it's another addiction that I, I guess starts early on in life. And uh, once you you know become uh, in a place where you are kind of privileged enough to be able to travel the world, and fortunate to to make that happen, then you realize the the, the enormous. You know responsibility we have towards educating others but also the pleasure in traveling parts of the world and seeing that and so I do that mostly for fun
0: yeah okay so wow I don't even know where to go from here um well let's talk about your aviation journey a little bit so if you had to describe it as a a sort of a flow chart how would you because you got your your uh, commercial and you're all you also have your rotary uh wing you know so how does how did that all kind of unfold in a nutshell (laughs)
2: Yeah, so the um, I started with fixed wing, as I mentioned, um, got my PPL I, soon after that, I, and I did this at a field where, uh, as Mark was saying, you know, very into props and GA, and and it was a very very healthy community in in Southern Africa, where flying clubs, or the social aspect as well as the flying aspect, is all about the community, and so I found myself surrounded by. By aviators and really passionate people, which then, uh, you know, I think I did my PPL in about thirty days or something like. I was just committed and I flew every wow. single day and just knocked it out. And then, of course, you, that's your, you know, official license to learn. And then I wanted to learn and continue to learn. And so I found myself surrounded by, you know, a variety of disciplines in aviation, and there was a really strong community around uh, competitive flying and. Um, what is a discipline that's kind of driven largely out of Europe, um, uh, which is the the te- the test of rally flying and navigation, cross country navigation, and then combined with uh, perform uh, spot landings and short takeoff and landing disciplines. So I j- ended up joining them and wanting to master those skills because it's just a continuation of learning and and finding your way under. Uh, uh, interesting conditions because the test is designed to test the pilot and/or navigator to find really difficult locations and track a route and be very very on time. So um, it's still conducted today as a as a international. Um, uh, there's a big international following and they there's kind of a few disciplines and derivatives thereof but essentially you have to fly around about an hour you don't get you get almost zero time to prepare get given a map and some waypoints and some photos and go fly and by the way be on time (laughs) so that was a real real tough challenge and i I looked at the guys around me and they were really really good and i i thought well uh, this is a great place to learn so i Surrounded myself with those people, I became somewhat proficient in it, and it was just really, really fun. And I think the key to continuing to learn and wanting to continue to learn was a, was all about the people, because you would come back flying after a day of flying, and and you know social and have a barbecue at the at the flying club, and and that's what continued to inspire me. So I moved over to the. Uh, this was all in Cape Town, which, by the way, is interesting geographically also it's it's very mountainous it's high winds so it's out of the gates you you know you're flying and your ppl includes things like mountain flying and really uh high winds conditions and kind of terrain that's not very common Mm. um Uh, I flew just for fun, my PPL, and and would take people and friends and family and whoever wanted to fly, I would go fly. (laughs)
0: And did you own an airplane uh, at this point or part of an airplane?
2: No, I don't. I never did and I still don't.
0: Okay, so you're renting.
2: So, yep. And um, so when I moved over to the U.S., which was also, by the way, for the love of traveling, I really wanted to see other parts of the world. And the U.S. was a, a, a very um, wide open country, the continent, as you know, and there were so many things that I wanted to see and explore in, in North America and the United States. So I decided to relocate myself here, found a job and and kind of went a little bit slow on flying for the first parts because i was so tied up in corporate and and you know getting into a new adjusting to the you know the the culture here the corporate culture and just spending a lot of time there and invested too much i would say in that but finally uh, common sense prevailed i think and i i really had this desire to continue what i was doing you know almost 10 years prior so i recently then decided Oh, and along with all of this flying, of course, you, you really want to uh, experience and learn in different kinds of things. And helicopter flying was always on my list of things to do or just because I was so, so curious about what it takes and whether I had what it takes to fly a helicopter. Yeah, so so you,
0: you thought, I don't have enough on my plate. Why not helicopters?
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> I, was all, I was really, really always curious about how does it feel, and what amount of input controls, and what's the coordination about, and and is this for everybody? Can it be a, an acquired skill, or do you really have to? You know, so I went and found out, and I, I did what I would describe as a really risky move, and you go for a demo flight, and then you're totally hooked. You really mm-hmm. are hooked, and so I ended up getting my my private in the helicopters, and, and I did this here in California, and just a lot of fun, you know, and it's also Uh, it's also about who you train with so i think i was fortunate enough to fly with really really qualified and cool people and just doing it for the for the love of flying even the helicopter training and so we would go off off airport which of course is why you fly helicopters because you're always going off airport (laughs) and um but i've always in the back of my mind you know growing up around a little bit of bush flying not so much in the southern areas of, of southern africa but Always be very aware, and from a young age, from you know the time that I kind of opened flying books and started reading, um, wilderness flying and uh, backcountry flying has always interested me, and of course, Alaska pops up on the radar, and then therefore float planes and seaplane flying. And so all along this journey, I was on wheels and, and I just knew seaplane, seaplane. and But of course, there's not much seaplane stuff happening in Africa. And it wasn't until I moved to the U.S. where I then realized I, I absolutely have access to seaplane flying. And I started spending some time in Alaska and the Northeast and places where there's a lot of water. And I finally decided that I really need to be qualified as a seaplane pilot.
0: And there's no going and, back after that.
2: Oh no, you that's that's as bad as helicopter flying. It's yeah. just it's just a horrible <laughs> addiction. <laughs> and so I, I knew that I wanted to fly not just be able to master that, but also I really want to spend a lot of time flying that and commercially and, and making myself available in the market and take people on tours and, and work for an operator and go fly bush and fly bush on floats, you know, go into the backcountry. So I spent more time and effort, and uh, recently got my um, my commercial seaplane ratings. And as pro- I probably won't stop there because, as I said, it's it's about the the learning, and along the way you're flying, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, my instrument rating, I would say, was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed it, and I think maybe because I, you know, I have a little bit of technology in me, and um, figuring out the, all those knobs and things—it's it, kind of cool when you when you figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> and you sure. can get the airplane down to the runway. It's it's a, it's an incredible feeling of achievement, but it is also—it's uh, just fun. It's a lot of fun, and so. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, and I'll continue from here. I'll probably add CFI and then do multi just because, you know, it's available and it's fun and, and, lot, and it opens more doors. And, and I, th- I think that for aviation, that's so true universally. You you really don't run out of options <laughs> for yeah. learning and continuing to learn and applying it in whichever way you want. Very cool. So that's my journey. Wow. So far, I would so love far. to get my – I'd love to get my
1: rotor wing pilot license, but – I don't think I can afford a CH-53C stallion or a Chinook, (laughs) so Skyhawk (laughs) Heavy is not going to be flying helos.
0: Mark's always got these. He's always saying, well, I would do that, but, you know, I can't really afford a C-130, so why get my multi-engine. I get my multi-engine,
1: but I can't afford a C-130. Yeah, that's
0: right.
2: Uh, uh, it is that. That, so, that is true. Uh,
0: Dion, we want to hear some of your recent flying uh, tales. You started telling us, uh, uh, while I was trying to figure out some audio issues before we uh, started recording, you started telling Mark about... Uh, an Alaska trip that you have recently done—I think that's what you were saying. Anyway, I was trying to uh, kind of catch that.
2: Yeah, you know, there's uh, Alaska is just an incredible land. Uh, whether you're traveling for fun and exploration, or doing some outdoor, you know, activities or fishing, or just tourism in general, it's just a place that everybody has to see. It's just magnificent, pristine nature um of incredible scale it's a gorgeous place to be um so of course the the flying piece of that is um with such amazing natural beauty and scenery and wilderness and and accessible wilderness by by aircraft it kind of follows that you would want to do that at some point in time um so my my recent alaska flying i think uh, we'll go back a year when i joined up with rob uh, rob who is now a good friend rob galloway uh, he's operating a seaplane operation out of florida and rob and i connected via the magic of social media and technology and he had planned summer of last year he had planned a flight um, out of alaska across across the continent cross-country aka cross-continent uh alaska to florida and he invited me along and and i just jumped on the opportunity because i had never flown in alaska i'm not near qualified enough to even you know be at the same table talking about alaskan flying but here was an opportunity and and i could go along and i could fly and of course so i had some flying time and but we totally uh, we're we we're going into an environment that we hadn't done much of either of us, and and uh, so a lot of planning went into that. And the bottom line of that trip was a uh, 206. We flew a, two, a 206 amphib from out of Anchorage uh, across the country to Florida. And the specific routing, as anybody who would know uh, the you know the exposed areas of the the northern latitudes, is is pretty much weather dependent. We had our favorite route. And we really wanted to see the coastline, uh, the panhandle of of Alaska, but it was absolutely weather dependent. And I think we just really, really lucked out. And we were able to make the trip uh, out of Anchorage all the way down the coast, um, you know, Yakutat, Ketchikan, Sitka, um, and then through Canada, uh, through the Glacier National Park. Just incredible natural beauty all along that coastline um, and down to Florida. And that's what really... Uh, got me going and focused my attention more on the alaska flying stuff so uh, i would say that was probably the highlight of my flying career up to now was just being there and flying flying myself and we had kind of an agenda but Uh, You know, and the routing, of course, weather dependent, but we weren't that much pressed for time. So we allocated two weeks and said, well, you know, we've got two weeks to do this thing. And if we're going to find a nice detour along the way and we have a very capable platform, um, we're going to go off grid into the wilderness. And so we did exactly that. We ended up um, uh, in Ketchikan going into uh, some of the most beautiful natural uh, areas of the anywhere in the world accessible to seaplanes of course and freshwater lakes and uh, we spent uh, we spent uh, a whole weekend go uh, hopping between you know freshwater lakes in Mist- the misty fjords area which is which is a very very scenic area cruise liners will will anchor it in in Ketchikan and then tourists will go fly and do aerial tours of that area and so it's it's and it's a busy area, it's very busy airspace. It's just fantastic natural beauty, and I think to me that was one of my highlights, if not the highlight of my flying career. Um, not only the flying aspect of that, but the planning, the logistics, the you know all the adventure things that go with that. It's the survival planning, uh, whether it's mandatory or not. You'll, you you kind of have to have a lot of common sense as well and figure things out along the way, but there's all of that there's kind of the the risk element which of course we try and manage as best we can but it's the adventure piece of that so um that's so appealing to me and uh in a state like Alaska where uh it's just huge huge surface area it's magnificent you know, natural beauty that is probably is obviously unique in the world but it's very difficult to have access to regions like that anywhere else in the world and and we, we can do that. PPLs can do that. You don't have to you know, have uh, a career behind you. Um, mm-hmm. Apply all the learning that you have and be sensible about it and be uh, safe. And obviously safety is the primary focus. While all of this sounds a lot of fun and we talk about it in a fun way, it's ultimately primarily about being safe. As we would like to continue to do this you know, day after day. Yeah. So that was uh, just an incredible journey. And then recently, I was up as well. I just came back from the Valdez stall um, fly-in, which was my second year in a row. And to me, that's um, that is such an such a GA. There's there's so much passion and energy around bush flying, as you guys may know in Alaska. It's it's not because uh, it's fun and people can do that because they have time or it's a way of life it is the lifeline of alaska people the the system does not function Uh, infrastructure doesn't exist the only way to get from a to b transportation wise is via air in most the cases and and so you'll see you know when when you first visit alaska it becomes (laughs) apparent within the first five minutes that general aviation is what makes this state go and So at a fly-in like Valdez, unlike in other parts of the world, the visitors that show up, the planes that show up, these are working, active, dirty, full of mud, (laughs) rugged, backcountry, four-by-four adventure machines, and they're being put to use every day. And so, All right. Well, I'm th- calling two men in a truck, and I'm moving up there tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it is an incredible scene to witness. Um, he, he, you know, if you if you're going just as a tourist, it's just fantastic. Um, I had the good fortune both last year and this year to fly with, um, I think Sean Sean Holly. I I do want to mention his name. He's just an incredibly uh, generous guy, but just such a passionate and and caliber high caliber person but also such an incredible aviator so in the context of the Valdez stall which is you know you guys you know know the format it's all about short takeoff and landing he has been a uh, I want to say a five-time winner in his category of the the light touring class category Um, so he's a capable flyer he does this you know uh, in his backyard to and from his backyard and I was incredibly fortunate to be able to fly with him last year and this year uh, I think as I was mentioning earlier, uh, he offered to to, uh, to take me along uh, on his ride into and, and out of Valdi. So he was flying out of Kodiak area, uh, Soldotna area, and then he was stopped by Anchorage. And we flew uh, via the K'nick Glacier, out of Anchorage, Kenai Glacier, uh, over the tops of the mountains that are at this point just snow-covered and glacial-covered. Uh, uh, and then down to Valdez, which is the location of, of the event for the weekend. Incredible scenery that uh, we were talking earlier about. Trying to capture and convey the the beauty of what you can experience doing it in a in a GIA aircraft. There's just no way. Uh, you know, I take a camera, I try and capture some of it. You can try and make a video, and but there's it's such an incredible uh, size and scale of that uh natural wilderness beyond what you can describe by form by moving pictures images um so i was very fortunate to be able to do that and and as luck would have it we had a perfect like a perfect perfect flying day cavo the definition of cavo is what we had um just unlimited ceiling zero winds. and i don't know if you guys are tuned into some of the you know there's lots of uh content being published online and Uh, bush planes and the guys go play out on the connect glacier all the time they do fly-ins and they just tool around and it's generally an area of fairly high winds or sustained winds and this is where they do some of those incredible uh bush bush landings where they literally land like a helicopter
0: yes and
2: zero roll when they just touch down with these 35 inch wheels and zero roll and so we were flying that same route on the day we flew this was now friday three days ago four days ago just no wind and um and we could experience that area in just, you know, almost like an armchair situation, just being suspended above all these, this natural beauty is just incredible. Wow, that's amazing. So, yeah, it um, is fantastic.
0: One of our friends uh, who flies for uh, an American regional carrier, his name's Jared, and he's been a guest here on FlightCast before. He's wondering, mm-hmm. um, have you had any sketchy moments, uh, which, uh, you know, heart-stopping moments flying
2: in the mountains? Um, when does – well, no, I would say the short answer is no. Um is Interesting thing, moments, right? that, yes. That's, that's yeah. good
0: planning often.
2: Yeah, well, you could attribute it to good planning or just dumb luck. I don't know, but I would say no. The short answer to that is no, Um uh, the things that do tend, wind obviously, in uh, over terrain is is really the elements that you have to watch out. Even in, on a clear day with no precip or no you know moisture in the air, and so interesting scenarios that I've run into. besides the normal downwind, you know, uh, turbulence uh, on the uh, leeward side of uh, mountain ranges and such, but what is very interesting is if you're flying over snow-capped mountains, uh, it's it's uh, the the amount of air cool the variation in the air temperature and the cooling air that obviously falls down to the surface can can uh, can create incredible vertical air movement and so what has what has been interesting so far is flying over, let's say, a fairly flat terrain, and then with these snow-capped mountains. And so you know what the winds are doing. That you can you know either know that feel that by the airplane or get it from a meter you know local instrumentation. But once you get over some of these snow-capped mountains, the the cool the bodies of cool air right over the mountains create an incredible downdraft situation. And in a light aircraft, it is significant. It really, really is a factor. And so, uh, of course, you go through all of this in ground school, and, and I've experienced that firsthand. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a hard, st- you know, anything to, to be concerned about, but I really experienced um, what it feels like to be uh, at max power and just descending at 1,500 feet a minute. And there's, you know, oh, level wow. pitch attitude just nothing wrong you're perfectly flying but you're in this body of downward moving air and it's um it's interesting (laughs) so you get the hell out of there
0: (laughs) yeah yeah mark have you heard of live flight for infinite flight
1: yeah man i've used it to track flights and to see which regions and airports are busy before you know planning my flight
0: right well as you probably know a new version of live flight is now available at liveflightapp.com this new version is better than ever and has been rebuilt from the ground up with a new design more flight stats a search feature and airport information tracking and planning your flight is easier than ever
1: oh man i know and now with the new downloadable kml files You can download your flight data to any Earth browser, such as Google Earth. It's so cool.
0: Absolutely. And if that wasn't enough, you can now subscribe to Live Flight Horizon, a new service for only $1.99 a month that provides real-time, worldwide airport information such as weather, runway data, and charts. It also allows you to search for flights, active ATC frequencies, and airports. And as a Live Flight Horizon subscriber, you'll also get much longer online sessions, and you'll be helping Cam to keep developing and improving this great app.
1: So guys, make sure you head over to liveflightapp.com to give it a try, and also subscribe to Live Flight Horizon. It will make your infinite flight experience so much better.
0: Live Flight is now available in the App Store for iOS. And now, back to the podcast.
1: Okay, so... We, oh, there's
0: so much. So much I want to ask, but we're running out of time. So, um, let's move into photography for a few minutes. Um, sure, sure. Uh, you're a aviation photographer. Did it start with aviation photography, or did it move into it from from some other type of photography that you were doing? How did that go? The
2: uh, I've always had a creative. I think that I've always been talented and very gift. Well, very fortunate to be talented in the sense that. Uh, cre- uh, graphical vi- and visualizations has been something um, that I would use to express uh, my experiences. And from a small age, I would draw pictures and sketches and all of that. And so I knew that I had an eye for uh, capturing or seeing stuff that sometimes. Uh, and then I would go capture and draw, you make a pencil sketch. So at some point, I was given a camera and I started, you know, at a, as a birthday gift. And I was still at school and I was tooling around with that. But I never made anything special out of it. I would experiment with it a lot, like I think many kids do. And so when I um, had more time, I, um, and when I started to be very focused on flying, I knew that I wanted to combine the flying and uh, photography. And in my mind, it was going to be a, a aerial photography. And I would want to capture this incredible natural beauty and wilderness that we you know, can experience from an aviation, from uh, being airborne. And I wanted to convey that message and, and share those images and share the, the emotion that I feel when I'm flying. And so I think it started when I it started to become aviation focused as soon as I got in the cockpit and I was able to go exactly where I wanted to go um, and have the ability to then capture and, and convey the message and so I want to say the the photography thing combined with aviation kind of happened at the same time but I just never made anything out of it um, I, I said, I said, I told them all my friends. Well, I, I, it'd be really nice to start an aviation or an aerial photography company. Why don't we do this? We can, we can go fly all these places, and maybe people will pay us money, or maybe they'll <laughs> pay for the fuel, or something like that. But it'd just be fun. We'd be flying around and and taking aerial shots, and we'd cover, you know and document and and convey the message. And so uh, that was from an early age. Um, okay. I don't think it's changed much.
0: And and what uh, what kind of a camera rig are you using right now? And I should mention, too, that uh, uh, we did ask our Infinite Flight community for some of these questions, and uh, okay. Boeing 777X on the forum and Michael both asked about your camera setup. So
2: yeah. let us at it. So I've shot, I shot film, I shot 35mm um, when that was the tech of the day um, and when digital technology became available, I tinkered with uh, just you know, run of the consumer stuff, which would give you something with a reasonable, uh, reasonable amount of pixel density and, and optical capabilities. And it wasn't until about four or five years ago where i Consciously made the decision to, and I think it was at the time that the, the the technology, the DSLR technology, also kind of became mainstream or more available. Mainstream, where I decided. Well, I I have to get a DSLR of sorts because um, it was clear to me that the technology was you know, was what's going to happen, and I knew that my focus was not so much the electronic tech the tech, but it was the optical quality that I was after. I could not get in the, you know the small consumer grade few hundred bucks what I was after, yeah. so I said, well, if I'm going to invest in heavy gla- or, or more capable glass, I I have to match it with a body. So I shoot. I never got into the the mirrored DSLR tech, and I just straight went to uh, mirrorless technology. Um, And Sony Sony, uh, sensor development, uh, Sony sensor quality is, in my opinion, top-notch. It's very high-performing in the consumer-slash-professional grade, um, and that's what I'm shooting with. I have a few bodies that are mirrorless um, uh, and then the glass-to-match. Uh, either zeiss or uh, sony's glass that go on on top of that
0: and uh what are you what are you using for um, a favorite lens for capturing uh well aviation
2: that's that's an int- that's a good question but it's uh, my my answer is always going to be it depends it depends what i'm shooting um and I, here's an example uh, if i shoot air to air um there's a certain focal length that works well that gives you good diversity so i'll typically shoot air to air with a zoom that gets me anywhere between 70 and 200 mole
0: and hopefully, uh, because hope I for can... no turbulence <laughs> turbulence messes up your your zoom big time
2: yeah so so the the standard answer is image stabilization is key to you know almost any application unless you're going really wide but aerial i would say 70 to 200 70 to 300 in fact is what i shoot with um if it's uh, fast-moving action, for example, Red Bull uh, or air races or planes where I have to pan really fast um, and I have to get long, well, yeah, that's what you have to do. Uh, sometimes I'll go rent a 600 mil um, and and handled. I've, I r- r- very rarely shoot a tripod or stabilized with a monopod because to me it's just the amount of freedom that I have handholding. Is, is what I'm after. Now, of course, the, there's a price to pay because you're just impeding your ability to to produce stabilized images. So it becomes much more of a challenge.
0: And destroying your back if, in the process.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> it's a good workout. That it yeah. is for sure. <laughs> um, if I'm shooting uh, like Valdez stall this weekend, I was right there by the flight line. I was literally, I was with the line judges. Um, the 200 mole isn't going to do much because it's too close, um, and so there I was shooting thirty-five to one ten or something like that, um, which allows me, uh, you know, uh, pulling it in or going wide if I want to. And cockpit uh, shots. Uh, sorry, uh, I mm-hmm. do a lot of um, I do a lot of cockpit shots because I think it's uh, well. You've seen some of my cockpit work, I think. Yes. Um, I go really wide, and I recently acquired a eight millimeter. It's not entirely fisheye, but it's almost, you know, it's fairly wide. It's not very distorted, and I use that for cockpit shots. I can almost get 180 degrees field of view, and it works. Mm. It's not expensive, it's lightweight, it's therefore very portable. And it's not a bulky piece of gear. And again, the mirrorless gets me the advantage that it is really lightweight. I show up at uh, events or I show up with my friends and we we go all shooting. The comment that I get almost all the time is, Dion, did you bring your cameras or is that all you have? And then I <laughs> and I have a small backpack that's probably no larger than just a little bit of a bulky laptop pack. And so I have two bodies in there, three lenses, plus a wide angle, plus all the batteries back up, blah. You know, wow. It's portable. So, yeah, yeah okay. I well, try.
0: Before we get off of cameras, I, Mark mm. and I have to ask, you've got to tell us, what is your secret? What's the trick to getting that magnificent prop blur on the GA aircrafts?
1: good god yes because, <laughs> you know and that's uh and I, I i've just been waiting but i was gonna ask that because let me tell you something panning is from the pit of hell uh <laughs> of course <laughs> you know when when you're six five and two hundred and too much panning is not something that is very uh easy to do for me but I'm, I'm just kidding i can do it easily but i just suck at it um but you know i'm like oh cool i got the prop blur but uh, the plane is blurred too, you know. Uh, and I, you know, I'm probably one of the few people who can get prop blur on a jet. How in the hell that's even <laughs> possible? I, don't know if I can do it. Now, so, you, you, this
0: this your latest C-130 pick at Valdez is oh my yeah. god is ridiculously <laughs> awesome. And we, let's don't, yeah, don't explain how you got that prop blur. Mm-hmm. How do you get normal person don't know what we're doing? Prop blur and a nice crisp airplane. I mean, how much does it have to do with gear, and how much does it have to do with your technique?
2: I don't know. That's a good question. No, That's no, a no. Fair no. You can't. Ask. You can't say I don't know. You know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. What, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Well, it just I... comes. It comes naturally to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, you, let's. How do
1: you how do you describe a gift? Let's I mean... use this. Uh, <laughs> let's use this otter that you
0: took a picture of uh, the other uh, at the same event.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, so you know, it, it's int- Well, here's. Let me answer the question two ways. Um, yes, that's one of the most difficult. Uh, comp- uh, uh, p- um, uh, it's
1: okay. Images you, you, to create. I, I, I take directness very well. It so. is one of the most
2: <laughs> difficult things to achieve. To to pan at a long focal length um, at fairly high speed with a slow shutter with a long exposure of course the physics we know where that goes right so here's the there's the two elements there's the science and the physics behind what goes on and which dictates the shutter speed uh, and it's primarily a function so first of all you you if it's not a 100 if it's not a full disc uh, then it's just not good enough in my definition so i aim to get a full disc Exposed. Oh, well, you get it. Which means, well, I, sometimes I'm lucky. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I'm lucky. Sometimes not. So, the it's easy easy to figure out the math. You can. Uh, it's a function of the the prop RPM, uh, and the number of blades. Um, so let's say it's a two blade prop. You only have to expose for 180 degrees because you have two props and that'll make a full disc. If you if you got a three blade prop, it's easy. It becomes easier. Four blade, five blade. So. The more blades in the prop, the easier the problem becomes. But let's just say it's still it's still a problem. So you kind of have to expose just long enough so that you get full rotation of however multiple you know, parts of the 360 degrees. So that dictates your shutter speed. There's no other way around it. That's the only way to do it. Um, but here's some of the comments that I heard from from my buddies. You know, and as we go shoot, we're always a bunch of guys and girls, and and we you know we joke and settings and this and that. This is what I heard. Dion, I was standing right next to you. You got the shot. I did not. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's what, That would have been me. That would have been my comments. Dion, what yeah. are you doing?
2: <laughs> what are you doing? Dion, you should be a surgeon because you either have a very steady hand or you, you're in the wrong profession, blah, 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 that kind of thing. I, I get that a lot. And all that I can say, I don't know, guys. If it's if You need to be steady, of course. I'm not using a tripod. I'm hand-holding. I'm padding at very fast rates. Uh, If you're long focal length, let's say you're working with a 600 um, and you're shooting air races, Red Bull air races or whatever. These guys move at 200 miles an hour. And if they're going left to right, if it's not a head on shot, um, uh, yeah, it's tricky. You need to get really lucky. And so what I do is I shoot at a long exposure and fast uh, multiple exposure. So uh, multiple continuous exposures. So. What I think what helps is uh, the camera gear that I'm using will expose up to a frame rate of 12 per second or 15 per second or something like that. And the latest Sony has a, a huge amount of memory. So you can literally just let the shutter roll, and it'll just keep filling it up. And it'll even buffer into online memory, uh, on, onboard memory, and it'll dump it to the SD card later. Oh, wow. So, so you're, just, you're yeah.
0: setting a, a, a servo uh, focus and just holding that thing down.
2: Yeah, well, then there's a technique of do you do continuous focus, auto manual focus? Um, and so you just have to experiment with that. Yeah. I mean, I certain conditions, I do one thing. The other interesting problem, if, if an airplane uh, comes directly at you, or let's say they're in a steep bank in a steep turn and they're heading towards you, um, it's kind of the same problem as the wildlife, uh, as the bird photographers have. They have, uh, it's the same problem, except that they can they can shoot with really fast shutter they don't they don't force the exposure to be long Uh, but their problem in from a perspective of focus is the same thing that your autofocus equipment has to be really fast performing has to Mm. detect very fast because the motion is either towards or away from you which is a very difficult problem for a lens to figure out Um, if it's panning then you've got the um the blurry effect thing, which yep. is maybe you need to be stable or not. A tripod certainly helps. I don't use any any additional assistance. I don't, I'm not using a gimbal head or a stabilized head. I think it'll help. I haven't experimented with it. It'd be fun to do.
0: It sounds like there's a lot of factors. The, the camera body yeah. that you're using has, uh, plays a huge part because of <clears throat> sure. uh, speed and so on. Your lens, yeah. obviously, uh, we actually chatted with um, a guy you might know from Instagram. Um oh crap. Jan. yeah uh yeah uh yan uh yazinski photo, photo photo Jan or photo yazinski on any... don't, don't know him oh uh, i yeah yeah i'm gonna pass uh, pass yeah. him on to you um yeah. uh, brilliant photographer uh living in uh quebec and uh he he's he's made me aware of the fact that the lens is so so important and i just didn't realize that before i chatted with him and i'm i'm a total hack when it uh, you know, I'm using a, I'm using a, a Canon T2I, which is mm. now what a decade or more old. Um,
1: but and I just got the T2I.
2: Yeah,
0: so so Mark <laughs> was- Mark and I are, uh, you know, we're we're just climbing our way up. Uh, but it, that's those are two two important parts. But what I'm hearing from you is you you attend and and you've got this you know some of the science down pat and so on but you also attend a lot of events and you're taking a lot of shots and i'm sure yeah, we're yes. seeing a a very very small fraction of what you actually shoot uh ends up on no. instagram
2: no absolutely you i think as with many things in life you have practice makes perfect and you have to just shoot and make mistakes and make mistakes and learn from that. And sometimes you get lucky and then you hone those skills and fine tune it and you find something that works and you just keep doing more of it. So there's, yes, the optics is very, very key. Um, What helps is, so optics in today's technology, optics, the speed of the CPU and the quality or the performance quality of the sensor. Those are some of the three key elements of the equipment. Um, if the sensor is performance is kind of mediocre, it means you have to make up for it in a in a lens in the optics, which means you have to to uh, you know use very very fast optics, very expensive therefore optics. If your sensor is very fast, then you half the problem is solved because the CPU can. Um, just capture the, the sensor already as fast. The CPU doesn't have to make up. You don't have to stick a you know a beefy amount of CPU. Therefore, lots of power draw, blah. And your lens can kind of be slower now because the CPU, the um, the the sensor already has uh, is is very sensitive, and then it, therefore the speed performance of the sensor makes up for lack of other parts. So, as with any performance problem, technology and and otherwise, the. The, the your maximum performance in your system, and in this case, let's say it's a sensor, the CPU, and the, the optics, is the weakest link, determines your maximum performance. So I try, you know, like I said, Sony's sensors are top notch in terms of speed performance, um, meaning the rate at which they acquire light, um, uh, which means. Uh, you have less. Uh, you can ISO down to 100 or 50, and you, you're not introducing noise with uh, graininess because the the ISO has to go up. Uh, and so, yeah, it, d- it does play a role. But the experimenting, I think, the key to anybody that wants to start or experimenting with this is just go out and shoot and fill up your memory cards and buy lots of memory cards yeah. and lots of batteries. <laughs> yeah, just keep going. Yeah. So
1: this is what this is what I see. If me and Dion or Dion and I, sorry, because I'm sure I'll get messages on how to learn to speak (laughs) English, but Dion and I'll be standing there, you know, taking pictures. We'll take the same exact picture and I will ask him the same thing. All right. Yours came out. Perfect. What am I doing wrong? (laughs) I see Dion's response is you took your camera out of the bag. (laughs) That's where you <laughs> messed up. That was your first mistake. You, that was your first mistake, Mark. You, Actually, you just left it in there. And I'll give you a copy. <laughs> Mark, uh,
0: are you thinking what I'm thinking here?
1: Um, I don't know.
0: I'm if you'll tell me what to... you're
1: thinking, I'll confirm or deny. I'm just thinking we
0: need to get Sony in here for a sponsorship for this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, now that. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Dion, is there anything you'd like to mention, uh, make our listeners aware of, any kind of social media or or any projects that you're working on, or anything before we let you go?
2: Uh, thanks for the opportunity, Jay and and Mark for having me on. It's it's fun to chat about this stuff. It's all about you know sharing the uh, the, the aviation passion, whatever it is, whatever you fly, if you fly or no, don't fly, or just to have a love of aviation or airplanes. It really is about the people, and I would say. Um we've we've fortunate enough to have social media as a as a technology and as a tool that allows us to communicate across the world globally instantaneously. So let's continue to make use of that. You know, connect with your communities, whether it's local or on the other side of the world. Uh use it in a positive way. We can make so much of a difference and, and it really is important for aviation to continue to you know inspire the next generation. Um education and exposure and making it fun is is what it's about uh, because people don't want to do stuff that's not fun and you know every time I'm close to airplanes even if I'm not close I think about the fun things that that I'm going to be doing and so I would just encourage your audience to to keep being vocal, keep engaging, sharing, uh, and, and engaging with other people that are like-minded, that have the same you know, addiction. And there is no, you know, unfortunate, no um, recovery from this thing. Uh, you just have to <laughs> keep yeah. doing the same thing. It, it truly is an addiction. Um, whether it's flying kites or gliders or frisbees or, or, you know, whatever, drones, there's so much stuff going on. Social yeah. media is cool. Um, you know where to find me. Um, what I really like about this, the, the element of social media is that I can be engaging with the audience. And, and sometimes I'm at these events and I can do real-time feedback and I can ask questions. So if you guys have any questions for me, you know, hit me up, send me a DM on social media. And, and I'd be happy to reply. And if you have an idea, your audience has an idea of, hey, we'd like to see you do this, or can you talk about this, or can you go find a T6 on, you know, on floats and then <laughs> let us see yeah. what it looks like? Or uh, <laughs> I'm always open to suggestions like that. It's just as fun to me to go explore and find interesting things and discover interesting things as maybe what it is for the audience. So I, I would say engagement. Just keep keep it going. And it's about the people. Ultimately, that's why it matters that's why we fly
1: wonderful well we certainly certainly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule i know you had that you know long day of flying today but thank you man for taking some time out to uh, to talk with us and um man we we really appreciate uh, appreciate you being here but we love the page um and of course you know we'll definitely promote it for sure
2: well, thank you very much, Mark and Jay. And yeah, it's just it's an absolute pleasure. And uh, uh, like I said, feedback, any feedback. If you think I I messed up in that and uh, and I didn't get the prop right, tell me so. <laughs> I'd like to learn from you guys. <laughs> I
1: won't just be as telling much. you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome.
2: It's all fun. I love the passion that you guys also put out in the community and keep on doing what you're doing. It's great.
0: Well, thank you very much. It's our pleasure. And thank you for making time for us. <laughs>
2: Uh, Absolute pleasure.
0: Everyone, don't forget to check out FlightCast Cafe for lots of bonus content from this episode. This one was a long one, so there is going to be uh, lots of great stuff to listen to. That's our show for today, and a big thanks to Dion Minton for joining us. Thanks as always for listening, and be sure to download Infinite Flight from the App Store or Google Play. For more of the podcast, visit flightcast.audio and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. You can find us on social media at FlightCast Audio. FlightCast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media, on the web at linkhousemedia.com. To cover the fine print, FlightCast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening, and happy landings.